point. Uh, political theory and um, other stuff with Mike and Paul, Capitalist Realism, Chapter 6, Part 57. No, I'm joking. Yes. It's like Part 4. Yeah, Part 4. Um, Paul is so good at starting it off that um, hopefully we're going to continue that tradition today. Excellent. We are starting on page 50 at the break near the bottom. (laughs) The proliferation of auditing culture and post-Fordism indicates that the demise of the big other has been exaggerated. Auditing can perhaps best be conceived as a fusion of PR and bureaucracy because the bureaucratic data is usually intended to fill a promotional role colon, in the case of education, for example, exam results or research ratings augment, parentheses, or diminish the prestige of particular institutions. The frustration for the teacher is that it seems as if their work is increasingly aimed at impressing the big other, which is collating and consuming this data. Data has been put in inverted commas here because much of the so-called information has little meaning or application outside of the parameters of the audit. As Eva Berglund puts it, the information that audit creates does have consequences, even though it is so shorn of local detail, so abstract as to be misleading or meaningless, except, that is, by the aesthetic criteria of audit itself. Uh, Which is a nice aesthetic, I suppose. (laughs) Uh, Oh my God. (laughs) But I mean, that's kind of what we were talking about last time, which is, and once again, back to maybe just not understanding land. But yeah, I do see the big other in so many aspects of life these days. Like, and obviously that being a good example, the, the education. And I'm not familiar with land's work, but the way that it sounded as uh, Fisher described land's work is that it was all encompassing. I think that that makes sense. And, and I could definitely see the concept of the internet changing the big other. But maybe. Yeah, you you mentioned that last time that you yeah. feel like it's not at, that it doesn't have a stranglehold on our society the way it once did because of the internet. And I don't know how true that is, you know. Yeah, no, I'm not sure. Yeah, if I I just think it takes different forms now. Yeah, um, yeah, and that would make sense uh, considering that one of the themes throughout this book has been how all of our problems, often our problems uh, are structural problems are so malleable how they can transition (laughs) and alter themselves to best fit the the conditions the current conditions yes or create them yeah yeah well yeah create them and then adapt to them you know Mm -hmm. did you want to keep going or do you want me to um yeah you can pick it up okay New bureaucracy takes the form not of a specific delimited function performed by particular workers, but invades all areas of work, with the result that, as Kafka prophesied, workers become their own auditors, forced to assess their own uh, performance. Take, for example, the new system that OFSTED Office of Standards in Education uses to inspect further education colleges. Under the old system, a college would have a heavy inspection once every four years or so, i.e. one involving many lesson observations and a large number of inspectors 
present in the college, or sorry, a large number of inspectors present in the college. Under the new improved system, if a college can demonstrate that its internal assessment systems are effective, it will only have to undergo a light inspection. But the downside of this light inspection is obvious. Surveillance and monitoring are outsourced by OFSTED to the college and ultimately to lecturers themselves and become a permanent fixture or feature, a permanent feature of the college structure and of the psychology of individual lecturers. The difference between the old slash heavy and the new slash light inspection system corresponds precisely to Kafka's distinction between ostensible uh, acquittal and indefinite postponement outlined above. With ostensible acquittal, you petition the lower court judges until they grant you a non-binding reprieve. Uh, you are then free from the court until the time when your case is reopened. Indefinite postponement, meanwhile, keeps your case at the lowest level of the court, but at the cost of an anxiety that never ends. The changes in OFSTED inspections are mirrored by in the change from the research assessment exercise to the research excellence framework in higher education. Periodic assessment will be superseded by a permanent and ubiquitous measurement, uh, which cannot help but generate the same perpetual anxiety. There he goes again. There he goes again with a whole sentence being in parentheses. Yeah, yeah. Don't know, don't know, don't know why. Don't know why you would do that. So um, such a beef, such a beefy sentence. Yeah, totally. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like that's all pretty self-explanatory and self-evident. The idea that to cut costs, they're like, well, if you guys can evaluate yourselves, uh, right. then we won't evaluate you. And everyone's like, oh, well, that's awesome because we don't want to be evaluated. So we'll just evaluate ourselves. But like the Kafka thing, it shows or like Kafka revealed what it creates is underlying perpetual anxiety about right. if, if you're um, doing it correctly. They're not totally off the hook. They're still being assessed for their end of, like for their self-assessment, um, right. which like and they kind of talk about it further on, but then that requires you to be in a way falsely negative about yourself. Like your self-assessment can't just be like, oh, we're killing it. It has to be like, okay, or, this is Or not maybe good. This um, is... with me, uh, when I do, uh, when they ask me to do self-reviews, it's not falsely critical. I end up just being hypercritical. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, it's not that I don't genuinely feel that I need to improve. It's that a long ago, I had to do so much self-evaluation or maybe it wasn't related, but I am the type of person that is just hypercritical. So I'll just no, go, I had, oh, I suck at this. Uh, my most recent boss actually took evaluations pretty seriously and gave a lot of good feedback. So shout out uh, if you're listening, most recent boss. I had a boss prior to that where uh, after my first two assessments, I learned a real clear pattern, which was just no matter what I wrote, she would just bump it a half point. Like no matter Up or what down. I put. 
Oh, sorry, bump it up okay. a half point. You know, and since our uh, raises were based off of hitting certain number criterias, I would just put myself one half point below the best one on everything, and she would just bump it up into it. So uh, that was nice. Uh, but totally ineffective and something that would stress me out for no reason for like a good solid week while I was putting it together. It also just doesn't cut down on, on anything like it just, and I'm sure it costs the school uh, money that it should be spending uh, on research or things of that nature now has to go to making sure they have proper assessment structure uh, and people to audit those assessments and things of that nature as well. In any case, it is not as if the light inspection is in any sense preferable for staff than the heavy one. The inspectors are in the college for the same amount of time as they were under the old system. The fact that there are fewer of them does nothing to alleviate the stress of the inspection which has far more to do with the extra bureaucratic window dressing one has to do in anticipation of the possible observation than it has to do with any actual observation itself. The inspection, that is to say, corresponds precisely to Foucault's account of the, the virtual nature of surveillance in discipline and punish. That's a book I've actually read. That's exciting nice. for me. That's exciting nice. for me. Foucault famously observes that, oh, and I bet that he'll talk about the panopticon. Um, so we'll see. All right. Uh, Foucault famously observes there that there is no need for the, uh, the place of surveillance to actually be occupied. The effect of not knowing whether you will be observed or not produces an uh, introjection, interject, interjection of the surveillance apparatus. You constantly act as if you are always about to be observed. Yet, in the case of school and university inspections, what you will be graded on is not primarily your abilities as a teacher as much as your diligence as a bureaucrat. There are other bizarre effects. Since OFSTED is now observing the college's self-assessment system, there is an implicit incentive for the college to grade itself and its teachers lower than it actually deserves. We just <laughs> touched on that. The result is a kind of postmodern capitalist version of Maoist confessionalism right is that confessionalism yeah. yep. okay uh, yep. maoist confessionalism in which workers are required to engage in constant symbolic self-denigration at one point when our line manager was extolling the virtues of the new light inspe inspection system he told us that the problem with our de departmental uh log books was that they were not sufficiently self-critical. <laughs> but don't worry, he argued, any self-criticism we make are purely symbolic and will never be acted upon, as if performing a self-flagellation as part of a purely formal exercise is uh, exercise in cynical bureaucratic compliance were any less demoralizing. Yeah, no, okay. it's... Oh, that's uh, the end of the paragraph, <clears throat> yeah. 
just such a silly system to not just be allowed to be good at what you do. Uh, and I just, I can't think of any application of a self-evaluation system where that sort of thought is allowed. Literally in the instructions for our self-evaluation that was sent out at the last company I worked at, it was like fives are limited to extreme excellence. You are not allowed to rate yourself a five. Only supervisors are allowed to implement a five rating. And it's just like, so I'm not allowed to just be like, oh damn, I'm good as fuck at my job, dude. Five, five, five. Uh, and you're literally not because they just need you to know that you could be better. No matter what you're doing, it's not good enough. Uh, Fisher doesn't talk about the, he doesn't name the panopticon, but he talks about it in idea here when he says um, that Foucault famously observes that there observes there that there is no need for a place of surveillance to actually be occupied. So right. Foucault wasn't the dude that came up with the idea of the panopticon, but he talks about in uh, Discipline and Punish this dude's idea, which was like, you have a cylinder, your cell block is a cylinder, and the um, all of the cells in the cylinder face inward. And then in the center is another cylinder that is the guardhouse, and it has one-way mirrors. So the guard can see out in a 360 right, but degree, you can't see to but the you guard. can't see the guard. And the, okay. dude's, the dude's idea was that even though the guard can't possibly look, be looking at everyone because people can't see if the guard is looking at them and they know that he could be looking at them with just like a turn immediately, they will act as though they're always being watched. And so that that's, is like one of four also, things I remember from the book. Okay, that's crazy because that's in a way, I feel like how the NSA currently works where it's like, well, we understand that there's no way they can be processing all of the data that they're collecting. But the fact that they could randomly process it probably causes people a lot of pause. Yep. Um, I think that's one of the things about why the protest against the NSA wasn't larger is because there's still a concept that it could be slightly anonymous. Like you're, there's no way that the FBI can monitor everything that they're collecting, but just the, the reality- NSA, that, right? Or the not NSA, the, sorry, yeah, the sorry, sorry. Getting confused with my memes there with my <laughs> friendly F assigned FBI agent. But it is still, to me, very unsettling uh, and something that's always in the back of my mind. Like, especially, I've, you know, I like to research weird topics and shit. And there are times where I'm like, fuck, dude, do I want to type this into a search bar? Yeah. I, yep. I don't know. No, I know. Uh, I, uh, <clears throat> I was talking to a loved one a while back and they were just like, and this was like months ago, but they they said something like, oh, God damn it. Something to the effect about like wanting to shoot Trump or something via text. And I was just like, oh, that's a super good joke uh, via yeah. text. And they're just yeah. like, oh, I'm not joking. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 you for sure are. Yeah. That's so yeah. funny. It's funny how you double down on it. And then I like right. uh, saw them the next time. I'm like, hey, listen to me right now. You cannot talk <laughs> yeah. about that sort of stuff, you know, and the chances of the NSA or anyone like trolling through my text messages is absurd, yeah. but yeah. still you never know. And just the thought of like, for me, my conspiratorial, like, I know this is crazy, but it still causes me pause for my ridiculous reasons is the fact that an administration or something could take effect and then start, retroactively punishing people for shit 
being yep. like, oh, this is illegal now. We have your records. We found out that, you know, you uh, were on some pretty questionable websites. Uh, and so now you're coming in. Obviously, we're hopefully pretty far from that. But uh, I think that's literally happening to some extent with China's like social credit system. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, so. for sure. For Perfect. sure. Well, do you want me to wrap her on up? Yeah, yeah. Bring please her, do. Bring her please. home. Yeah. Land the airplane. All right. In the post-Fortis classroom, the reflexive impotence of the students is mirrored by reflexive impotence of the teachers. De Angelis and Harvey report that practices and requirements of standardization and surveillance obviously impose a huge burden of work on academics, and few are happy about it. There have been a number of responses. Managers have frequently suggested there is no alternative, parentheses, uh, T-I-N-A, and parentheses, or TINA, and have perhaps suggested that what we need is to do is work smarter, not harder. This seductive slogan, introduced to dampen staff resistance to further change, which in their, parentheses, are, experience, has a devastating effects on working conditions. Attempts to couple the need for change, parentheses, restructuring and innovation, and parentheses, in order to meet the budget pressure and increase competitiveness with the staff's resistance, not only to worsening of their condition of work, but also to the educational and academic meaningless, meaninglessness of the changes. The invocation of the idea that there is no alternative and that the recommendation to work smarter, not harder, shows how capitalist realism sets the tone for labor disputes in post-Fordism. Ending the inspection regime, one lecturer sardonically remarked, seems more impossible than ending slavery was. Such fatalism can only be challenged if a new, parentheses, collective, and parentheses, political subject emerges. That's awesome. That's, yeah, that's also and, just terrifying. And that is you know. the end of chapter six, end of page uh, 53. I just yes. wanted to establish that because sometimes when we're recording, it isn't clear that we're done reading the chapter. And yeah. I just want to make it clear. We are done with chapter six now. And so we're just going to be talking about it. Uh, go ahead, Paul. I don't mean to be hyperbolic. Uh, and I would say that possibly... There was some hyperbolic nature as far as being harder to end than slavery was, especially since, at least globally, that seems to be a pretty persistent problem. I think it's more devious in that it's harder to see and that it's probably easier to accept those processes than it would be to accept slavery. But the concept of work smarter, not harder, it does that devious thing of turning it back on to you. This isn't that hard. You just don't understand how to do it. Which, you know, if you have any complaints, then you can then be relegated into just being kind of a, a simpleton or whatever. Like, oh, he's just not with it because he doesn't get it. That's fine. Which uh, is a shitty place to feel where you're like, God, this is crazy. And then to have everybody around you be like, that's oh, not crazy. You're dumb is super uncomfortable. Totally. Since this chapter was four parts, I just mm -hmm. want to go over quickly before we end this episode on the things that like stuck out to me or the takeaways, the, the kind of the important ideas that I came across in, in this. And basically for me personally, the idea that, that PR is a chronic problem, not only in capitalism, but it was as well in the USSR. And they talked about that canal thing, which I didn't know about. And then the idea of the big other, which 
I kind of understand as our collective consciousness about something and <laughs> how on an individual level, uh, we can all be aware of something or the majority of us can be aware of something. For instance, like uh, marijuana not being, or, or sorry, uh, the idea of cannabis not being a, a negative thing in our society. And yet <laughs> the big others perspective is that it is bad, that it is a gateway drug and it, it creates violence and, and addiction and all this stuff. So that's how I view the big other idea. And, and you know, that that was something that, that Zizek got from Lacan and, and repackaged it in a digestible way, because as we all know, or as, at least for me, Lacan, reading Lacan is like trying to read untranslated Russian or something. Like, I just don't, yeah. I don't understand Lacan at all. The other main thing I would take that I, I felt like I took away from it was just the idea that we were kind of just talking about that bureaucracy, uh, just the importance of Kafka's um, whole two different types of, um, what was it, uh, quiddle, where one of them is like perpetual and one of them is, um, so one of them you're just in constant stress, like it's an indefinite po postponement. And then the other one was like the more like, yes, this is over. And we have moved with what he was talking about with the British schools, with uh, the self-evaluating. <laughs> That's like the indefinite postponement uh, where you are constantly anxious and, and overly right. self-critical. Yeah, the self-evaluate. Yeah. yeah, and so those, uh, the those only, are the things I got out of chapter For sure. Six. The only thing I would add to it also, and, and you kind of touched on it, is just that neoliberalist, you know, postmodernist, post-Fordist capitalism uh, has strongly adopted the aspects of communism that they derided a lot, i.e. the the trap with the PR, the big other. Uh, that's maybe a chicken or the egg. Was that always a capitalist thing that communism had to adopt? Who knows? But either way, it is still very existent in our current system and was often derided as being a negative part of that system when they would talk about it, but it's still fully there. Uh, and then the other thing with the self-evaluations is to also touch that it, it brought on a lot of the tendencies that were talked negatively about with the Maoist regime, i.e. that, you know, that self-flagellation, that we aren't good enough. This has to, you know, our individualism doesn't matter. We could never strive to be as good as we need to be. That sort of stuff also is still very present in, in the system that we live in as, as Americans. You know, I think that takes a lot of legs out of the capitalism is great argument um, because these are things that are truly often like, well, we don't have to deal with this. We don't have to deal with that. Um, and any sort of closer or critical inspection, and it's like, oh no, that shit still very much exists in just his sadistic of a manner, if you will. Totally. And uh, that's why he called it market Stalinism or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Excellent. So next episode, we will be doing chapter seven of capitalist realism. And it's called, if you can watch the overlap of one reality with another, capitalist realism as dream work and memory disorder. The uh, chapter is not as long as the title, so that <laughs> is... Is that um, true? Is it is it a shorter chapter? It looks it like... Is, it is shorter than chapter seven, or than six. I'd say max okay. two-parter. Okay, excellent. Uh, well, possibly a one. Nice. I'm, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. We, uh, we appreciate you, you all spending time with us with uh, the end of chapter six. Awesome. Have a great day.